Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Missionary John Holbrook works among the Talbot people of Mindoro Island, Philippines. He lives in a remote mission outpost in the highlands, and this frontier life brings hardships as a daily occurrence. In our first journal story, John relates how God still loves us and takes care of us even when we get into bad situations of our own doing. Later, he shares how his faithful friend stuck by his side through many of his harrowing journeys. Our first story is called The Divine Life Preserver. A brown expanse of water churned in the feeble beam of my flashlight. I could hear boulders grinding deep under the surface as the flooded river caught them up and smashed them against each other. You'll be fine, I reassured myself as I waded in. You've been crossing rivers more dangerous than this ever since you were a kid. Soon the torrent was over my knees, threatening to knock me over. Drawing on past experience, I began letting myself be washed downstream a little with each step in order to keep my balance. Sure, I muttered, this river kills someone every rainy season, but you're a good swimmer. Besides, your church leaders have been traveling for 18 hours to get home from the training seminar. They're counting on you to pick them up. You have to get across this river. The water was up to my armpits at this point. The current was so powerful that I could feel the entire riverbed moving along with it under the surface. Rocks, sand, boulders, and all. And then my foot slipped between two stones. Instinctively, I lay back to keep from breaking my ankle. The foaming water went over my head, and when I came up, I was 100 feet downriver. Well, here's your chance to test your swimming, I thought, feeling strangely calm. I flipped over onto my back with my feet in front of me, pointing downstream in case I encountered a boulder. Using my arms, I started paddling towards the far bank. Just then, the dim moonlight outlined a standing wave rushing towards me. The crest towered above my head and I knew that a huge rock lay beneath it. Lord, I'm in your hands, I breathed. To my relief, I bobbed right over the wave, never even touching the boulder underneath. By this point, I was already most of the way across. A few more strong strokes and I was under the overhanging bank. But as I watched the shore whiz by, I realized that the current was strongest here. I put my feet down, but immediately I toppled over. I couldn't stop. I wonder if there's a root or branch I could grab, I thought to myself. And as if on cue, a thick, gnarled root loomed out of the darkness in front of me. I grabbed it with all of my strength, but I was moving so fast that it tore from my hands. For the first time, I started to feel a little worried. Lord, I prayed, I'm running out of options here. I know there are dangerous rapids just downstream. I've done everything I know how to do. I need your help. As I was still praying, another root rushed out of the darkness. Again I grabbed at it, and again my speed tore it from my grasp. But there was something special about this root. Years ago, deep underground, it had entwined with another root. 
When the river washed the soil away from the tree, it left the two connected roots floating like a V in the current. As my hands slid helplessly across the slippery bank, the V caught under my arms and slammed me against the bank. In a jiffy, I was out of the water and standing safely on solid ground. Years before I arrived in the Philippines, God had fashioned a life preserver in just the right place and with just the right shape to save me that dark, stormy night. It had waited patiently in the ground all those years. The very storm that nearly washed my lifeless body out to sea also washed away the soil that was concealing the roots and floated them up to find me in my moment of need. When we do our level best and leave the rest in God's hands, He never lets us down. The story you just heard was from fairly early on in the Taubuid Project, not long after I had started working among them. I'm so thankful for God's mercy in protecting me that night as I traveled to meet my church leaders. The story you're about to hear is a little bit more recent. At this point, I actually have been living among the Taubuid for a number of years now. I have church leaders that are starting to take the initiative in reaching their people, and they have been at a seminar on another island. I was traveling down to try to pick them up from this seminar when this story happened. And a friend of mine tells this story. The title of it is Two-Wheeled Missionary. Help! If anyone reads this, please tell John that I love working with him, but would he please go easy on those rocks? I know crossing those rivers and bouncing over the washed-out road is the only way to get to our people. But those rocks will be the death of my shocks one of these days. Oh wait, did I forget to introduce myself? I'm John's trusty, muddy Honda motorcycle. Even though I groan and complain at times, I really do enjoy working with John. We have already been through plenty together since he brought me home last October. Our adventures together started right away with that trip home from the Honda dealer. The island of Mindoro had just been hit by three hurricanes in a row, and not much was left of the National Highway. About a third of the five-hour trip was spent driving through water, and another third was spent slopping through axle-deep mud. It was quite the introduction for both of us. Several times I've taken the brunt of the enemy's attacks on John and the Taubuid project. You may have read a few months ago, for example, about the time that we were pushed off of a low cliff. Just as the Taubuid expeditions were getting started, God was merciful to John and I, and neither of us was hurt in the slightest. Most of my short life has been spent pounding over Swiss cheese roads, crossing rivers, and climbing mountains, carrying John and his team of Alangan church leaders on their search for the Taubuid. Trip after trip, I have borne them to distant trailheads and back again. Late last year, John was eager and hopeful as the expeditions into the Taubuid territory got started. As he sat on my back, I could tell that, after so many years of preparation, he was excited to be on the brink of joining his people. Over the months, I saw that eager expectation harden into a dogged resolve as the team realized that getting into the Taubuid territory was going to be a long, slow haul. John and Ramon were wildly elated as they came back from the village of Tamisan one sweltering mid-December morning. I heard them praising God that this village, where Fausto, the head of the Taubuid tribe lives, had agreed to let them come in on a temporary basis while they worked to find a village deeper in the interior. Less than a week later, I brought three very sober young men home from that same village. On the trip back, 
I overheard them talking about how they had been met by the elders of Tamisan and Fausto when they had arrived in the village. In the meeting that followed, they had learned that not only had the previous decision to allow them to enter Tamisan been reversed, but the head of the tribe had formally forbidden them to enter the territory. More than a month passed, and from my resting place outside John's house, I overheard countless meetings with church leaders, civil leaders, and the Taubuid team. Each time they attempted a new plan to get into the Taubuid territory, it fell through. They didn't seem to be making any progress at all. I could see that John was tempted to be discouraged. As we crested a mountain somewhere in the middle of Mindoro late one evening, I heard him mumbling to himself, I've spent years preparing to go to the Taubuid. For the last several months, I've tried time after time to find a way into this tribe, but I have little to show for it. Now the head of the tribe has revoked his permission, and without it, the Highland Taubuid won't let me get closer than shouting distance. Lord, I'm tempted to despair of ever being accepted by these people. I wished that there was something that I could do to help him, but I'm just a little Honda. The Lord knew what to do, though. After a few minutes of silence, I heard John quote, Workers for Christ are never to think, much less speak, of failure in their work. Six Testimonies 467. Then in a strong voice he said, I have been undeniably called of God to this work, and have vowed to never give up, never stop, unless God himself tells me to. I will be true to that promise, no matter how I feel, no matter how many years the Taubuid continue to reject me. After that, things got really crazy. Just a few weeks ago, John was taking a bath upriver. While he was gone, a handsome little Philippine cobra, which happens to be the most venomous type of cobra, wound its way through the grass right between my tires and up onto the steps to John's porch. Just about the time I stopped shaking, I heard John come back. I tried to warn him. But without my key in the ignition, my horn wouldn't make a sound. God was good though. Just as John was about to step up, he saw the snake. He hollered for his friend Delpin to bring a machete, and the little cobra soon breathed its last. But that was just the beginning of the craziness. That day, John and Delpin needed to go to the provincial capital of Mamburao, so they climbed onto my back and off we went. About halfway there, just outside the town of Santa Cruz, a huge truck cut across the road just in front of us. We braked so hard that both of my wheels were almost locked up, screeching to a stop just inches from the truck. We all breathed a prayer of thanks. Wow, two close calls in one morning. But the day wasn't over yet. Just a few minutes later, in the middle of Santa Cruz, the same thing happened again. Another near accident. What was going on? Then just a little bit later, I felt something go terribly wrong in my belly. Something was loose. I tried to tell John, but the wind rushing by his helmet was too loud. Somewhere on that road just outside of Santa Cruz, my oil drain plug worked its way loose. Or else someone loosened it while I was sleeping the night before. I'll never know for sure. My lifeblood spilled out, making a long black line down the road. I kept on going for as long as I could, but soon my pistons started to overheat and score the cylinder wall. The last thing I remember was making a horrible lugging noise as John quickly turned out the key off and brought me to a stop. It just wasn't our day. A week later, after surgery on my engine, 
I woke up to find that the day had been even more eventful than we had realized at the time. As we had close call after close call while traveling north, Lunito, the head of the Alangan tribe and also an Adventist church leader, he was meeting with the head of the Taubuid tribe down in the south. Lunito was pulling out all the stops, hoping to convince Fausto to reconsider his previous decision. At first, Fausto didn't want to budge, but when Lunito was able to get him aside and talk privately, he finally agreed to let us live and work among the lowland Taubuid for now. When asked about the highland Taubuid, he agreed that if a highland village was to ask John to come, then he would be free to go. Praise God! No wonder Satan tried so hard to put an end to us for good that day. So the big news is that after Lunito's meeting with Fausto, God threw open the doors for John to move into the lowland Taubuid village of Balangabung. This is actually the only lowland Taubuid village that has an Adventist presence. Just last Thursday, I hauled John and his two Alangan teammates to the trailhead, and they started working with the Taubuid to build a new hut. Judging by the hardware I've hauled from town, I figure that the hut is probably about a third finished at this point. John will live in Balangabung while he learns the Taubuid language and culture and continues to look for an opening into the highlands. Because Balangabung is a lowland village, the Taubuid culture and the lowland Filipino culture have become mixed together there. However, one of the recent converts there is an old man who not long ago got fed up with the witchcraft in the mountains and decided to move down and become a Christian. He will probably be John's key to the language and culture of the interior. I'm just a little Honda 125 on an oversized scooter frame, but God has given me a part in his great work, and I'm eternally grateful. The road is long and rocky. I have my share of scars and funny little quirks as a result of the work that I do, but I wouldn't trade this work for anything in the world. No, not for anything. Thank you also for doing your part and for helping to bring salvation to the Taubuid and to all the lost around the world. Phew, what a ride! Thank God for the protection he gives to John and other frontier missionaries through your prayers. Hey, are you looking for more stories of missionaries on the frontiers, but you're not quite sure where to find them? Problem solved. Point your browser to afmonline.org and subscribe to AF Magazine. Each month, you will receive a 48-page journal chock full of inspiring stories written by the missionaries themselves. Again, that's afmonline.org. Thank you, and God bless.